Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. So right off the bat, we have a couple of images. And so some people will say that the winds are from heaven, that God is directing this stuff. And other people say, well, winds are chaos and whatever. So those are the two views of, of what the, the winds are. But since it's the four winds of heaven, I tend to think that it's God in control and sovereign of what's about to happen. And we're stirring up the great sea. Now, in my literal interpretation, I would think great sea would be, a sea would be the Mediterranean Sea. However, that's probably not the understanding because some of the things that we're going to see later doesn't come from the Mediterranean, but comes from other parts of the world. So others will say oftentimes sea refers to the Gentiles. So it's, it's the Gentiles are being stirred up by God. And four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. And I kept looking until its wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. The human mind also was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one resembling a bear. And it was raised up on one side and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, arise, devour much meat. So he gives us two different animals. Most interpreters view that the first one, and I, this I agree with, talks about Babylon. Because on the temples and other places in Babylon, you would see a, a lion with wings on it. And so it kind of identified, kind of like in America, we kind of identify our country with the bald eagle. So you, we have certain animals that represent the country. Uh, fortunately, uh, for our country, uh, Benjamin Franklin didn't have his way because Benjamin Franklin wanted a turkey to represent uh, our country. And now looking at the way we are, maybe he was right. But anyway, <laughs> the, uh, so the first one was Babylon. Now, it's talking about kingdoms. It's not, not talking about kings. So, so some people say, oh, well, it's obviously Babylon because it talks about plucking and rising up. And remember, Nebuchadnezzar went and he was acting like a beast and then he stood up and gave reason. It's not talking about four kings. It's talking about four kingdoms. But it kind of matches what happens in Babylon. So he's saying that first Babylon's going to be there. Then there's going to be another kingdom that's represented by a bear. Again, a lion's ferocious. And so is a bear. And in this place, it says this, this bear has three ribs in its mouth. Some people, again, the majority view is, is that the bear represents the Medo-Persian empire. And the three ribs may represent their conquest of Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt. Others say no. The bear represents the Median Empire, that the Persian Empire will be the fourth reason. And the reason they give that as an explanation is that they say Daniel's visions are so accurate, and especially the one that's going to follow that we'll look at next week, are so accurate that nobody could know this ahead of time. Therefore, it had to be written back in about 120 B.C. as opposed to 500 and something B.C. 
because Daniel is too accurate. Now, my opinion is this. If the God who said, let there be light, and there was light, and created everything out of nothing, and is sovereign, can tell his people what's going to go happen. And so while Daniel may not know what's going on, it is not Daniel who is given the vision. Daniel was given the vision by God, and therefore I believe that Daniel wrote this, that it wasn't written some hundreds of years later. But people will want to look in their own little box and say, okay, well, there's no way this could happen, so we have to divide up the four kingdoms, and the way to do that is to break off the Medo-Persian Empire into two different empires, although everybody else puts them as one. And it says that, um, and it raised up on one side, and so some people say, well, uh, this makes sense because the Persian Empire was a little stronger than the Medo part of it, and so it raised up, and we kind of had this idea that the bear was like off balance. A backside and a front side are also sides. So the front side could rise up. And that's what a bear does when it's angry. It rises up. And so I think it's not off balance. I think it's being larger. But then that's just me. And after this, I kept looking. Behold, another one like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Now, everybody tends to believe, and I agree, that this is the Greek empire. And the reason it's symbolized as a leopard or some translations a panther is because that's a, while that's a meat-eating vicious animal, it's also a quick animal. And Alexander the Great conquered the Persian empire very quickly and extended his rule all the way to India. And he did it so quickly that most of you who are aware of history know that Alexander wept because he said, I have no more worlds to conquer. He had done it at such a young age and so quickly that um, he just kind of felt like there wasn't any more any purpose to his life. And when he dies, and some say he was murdered, four kings arise from his rule. And we'll talk about that next week. And again, it's, it's showing that these four kings arise um, from that rule. And so it had four heads and dominion was given to it. And after this, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong. And it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had 10 horns. And while I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boast. Now, many people say that this one represents Rome. Because after all, Rome was a strong empire and defeated many people. I humbly disagree. 
And I will tell you uh, a little more while I disagree later. I don't think it's the Roman Empire. I think this fourth one, while it isn't described as a beast because it is so different from the others, it, Daniel can't express it in terms that we would understand. The other reason I don't think it's Rome is, let's, let's go back a moment. When Jesus was crucified, what was the ruling agency that authorized his execution? Rome. So you would think that since Rome was a world power, that everybody would talk Latin. But they didn't. What was the Bible, the New Testament, written in? Greek. All the Romans who were rich wanted Greek philosophers to teach their children. The influence of Greece on Rome was still significant, even though Rome was the world power. And when we take a look at these four kingdoms, I want you to remember we're talking about the Middle East. If you notice, there's not a word talking about the Mayan Empire. Not a word talking about whatever happened in America. Not a word talking about the Incas. Why? Because they didn't rule the Middle East and Israel. And so when the scriptures talk about these things, it's geocentric to that location. And I think the reason that it's so different is that there's a period there, there's these, these kingdoms. And then this one's different. Some say that this vision is a different perspective of Nebuchadnezzar's vision of the, of the statue. I disagree. I think there's some similarities I think there's some understanding of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and those types of things. But I think what's happening is God is telling his people through Daniel a little more about the story, giving us more indication. So it's not just perspective, but more information. In the statute, we are told a stone knocks down the statue. We're not told that at this point. And so he talks about this And the reason why I'm not going to go on further, because the angel is going to give us a little more explanation. So let's move on. Verse 9. And I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the ancients of days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and his hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with fire. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out of before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were open. I don't necessarily think that it takes a rocket scientist to understand what this he just said. Basically, God, the Ancient of Days, the one who is eternal, is sitting in his courtroom. And he's sitting in judgment. Now, the reason that the language is is interesting is because we all know that God is spirit. And those who seek to worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. 
So how is it that you can explain this? So again, what Daniel, I believe, is trying to tell us is that God is righteous. He's clothed in white. He's righteous. He has hair as well, which means he's wise. So he's the proper one to sit as judge. And then it talks about fire and all these things coming forth. And usually fire means judgment. And judgment not that you win, but judgment that you lose. And so fire is coming forth. And so we have all these peoples standing before him, some attending him, some ministering to him, and some waiting for their case to be called. And just as the book of Revelation tells us, Books are opened up. And so the books were open. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words, which the horn was speaking. And I kept looking until the peace was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time which means that there's a period of time when God judges and then he allows, and then he reasserts himself. That is why I don't think that we're talking about the Roman empire here because these things haven't taken place yet. So he sees the courtroom and he sees the people standing there and he sees people attending to God. He says, and I kept looking in the night vision. So it's not over. He still has more to see. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed." We are presented here with a picture of Jesus, the Messiah. It's always interesting. I find that people will talk about things as if they were intelligent. And you will hear people talk about when Jesus says that he is the son of man, they'll say, well, the reason that Jesus says that he's the son of man is to identify with his humanity. Ain't wrong. Everybody who met Jesus thought he was a human, especially his detractors. Wasn't this Joseph's son? Isn't his brothers and sisters here? They always criticized. Whenever Jesus said, I'm the son of God, that's when they wanted to kill him. He never used the term son of man to identify his humanity. He termed the son of man to say, I'm this guy. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who will be presented before God the Father and be given the kingdoms and dominion forever and ever and ever, and I'm going to be coming on clouds. And unlike the three and now four that we've talked about, and unlike all the other kingdoms of the earth, the dominion and power given to Jesus will last forever and ever and ever. It will never be destroyed. And not only that, it will have an impact on the whole world. Not just the people in the Middle East. 
And it will have an impact so much so that as the scripture says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, the father. It's not that just the believers do. Everyone will. And that should give us hope. Now we are presented a little image of what we will call in our, the antichrist, the one who makes great boasts and wants to do all these things. And we're presented the Christ, the Messiah. Now to make sure that I haven't gotten off track, because I always love it when you'll hear people say, well, this is what it means. Then the Bible tells you what it means. And then they never say that the Bible told you something totally different than what they said. So in verse 15, we're we're talking about the vision interpreted. So as for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. And I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So, So he goes, I'm seeing this. I don't quite understand it. Can you help me out? Now, this is coming from one who everybody up until this point has said, well, Daniel is the guy who has the visions of the gods and and he can interpret all these things. But Daniel never took credit. He said it was God who gave him the interpretation. And even now, when the vision is given to him, he doesn't quite get it. So he asked for help which means he's not your typical guy because most guys, when they don't know where they are, they refuse to ask for help. They just keep driving along, but he does shows he's wiser than most of us. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These great beasts, which are four in number are four Kings will arise from the earth, but the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. So really short, they represent four kings, but, but the kingdom of God and the saints, they're the one who's going to get it forever in the ages to come. Then I desire to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet and the meaning of the 10 horns that were on his head and the other horn, which came up before, which, which three of them fell, namely that horn, which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts and which was larger in appearance than its associates. And I kept looking and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the ancient of days game and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. You see, even if Daniel didn't write this, and I think he did, and even if it was written back a few hundred years later than everybody says, this part hasn't come true yet. This is still a prophecy. And that's why I don't think the fourth kingdom has anything to do with the Roman empire. Yes, the Roman empire persecuted the church. But Jesus hasn't come in power and glory as he promised. So this fourth kingdom, which is different than all the rest, has not yet arisen. Now, 
This is the interpretation. Which says that the saints were being waged war with and were overpowering them and wearing them down. So if I had the theology, which most people do, that we are raptured out of here, that doesn't agree with Daniel. And I'm totally willing for that to happen. And I'm willing to say, well, we've misunderstood. And maybe it's, but it says the saints. It didn't say Israel. It didn't say Judah. It said the saints. And so that is going to happen until the ancient of day came, days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Even so, Lord, come quickly. So, if it is true that we have to deal with this fourth kingdom, which is worse than all the others and more terrifying, then they better get ready to be ready. Because if it's difficult now to be a believer in a world that simply makes fun of you for believing in God, can you imagine how difficult it will be when they want to take your life or put you in prison or make you do all sorts of terrible things? But the good news, we win. We will be given the kingdom doesn't say those who survive, all of us will be given the kingdom forever and ever and ever. So then Daniel is concerned about this fourth beast because it's terrifying and he's waging war. So he wants to know more about it. And verse 23, and thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise and another will arise after them. And he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. That didn't happen in the Roman Empire. A lot of people think that this is the revised Roman Empire. I don't think so. I'll give you my opinion. I think that many of the nations that were talked about in the first four will become a confederate, which will mean places like Iraq and Iran and Turkmenistan and all those other places will become a confederation, but I don't know. And he will speak out against the most high and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, time, and half time. So there's this one who's going to appear out of this confederation and he will be the dominant one and he will wage war against the saints and he will be the one who will attempt to change laws and customs and times. So I'm sure in that he will enforce things like you're not supposed to worship the Lord. 
not supposed to worship on Sunday, not supposed to worship him on Saturday. You're not supposed to have anything to do with first fruits, which we call Easter or Passover or unleavened bread or all the holy days that God has established. He is going to attempt to change those to emulate his own glory. And he will be doing that for time, time and half time, which means that he's probably going to be for two and a half years or so or three. As the scripture says by Jesus himself, that the times will get so bad that if possible, even the elect would fall away. But he's going to be interrupted because God knows when to stop it. But the court will sit for judgment. Remember the ancient of days and the son of man. And his court will sit in judgment and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated and destroyed forever. Remember I used to tell you that I always wanted to be the president of the United States and, and whatever, but even if I became, so even if I became, it would be irrelevant. Julius Caesar is irrelevant. Nebuchadnezzar is irrelevant. Cyrus the Great is irrelevant. Even Hitler is irrelevant. Because all of those kingdoms will be taken away and destroyed. Forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. We're given the kingdom. As the scripture says, Jesus will rule and we will reign with him. That's why I say I get Bakersfield. My wife will get someplace like Malibu because she loves the ocean. She has to put up with me so she gets a better place. I get Bakersfield and, and as I, I probably get a 7-Eleven in Bakersfield, not even the whole place. Just corner lot. But we'll get to rule and reign with him. And his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And all the dominions will serve and obey him. There will come a day when we will no longer have to say and pray. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because there will be a day when his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Daniel tells us that there are going to be hard times for the people of God. And it is going to look like those kingdoms will, will dominate. But the word of God says, there will come a time when God himself will sit in judgment. How much better, how much more blessed to run a 7-Eleven for eternity than to be considered one of the great kings of this world who is annihilated. It's a matter of perspective. 
There is nothing that we can do that separates us from his love. Most rulers become very unhappy with you when you don't follow what they say. Our Messiah died because we didn't do what he said. Most rulers will put you in prison for not doing what they say. Our Messiah says, he who is set free by the Son is free indeed. The world tells us that we have no fun because we have to do all these do's and don'ts. And the problem is, is that, yeah, the church has put on a bunch of do's and don'ts. But God wants you not just to be happy, but to be blessed. And that's his will for you. And he is saying, even though I am the king of the universe, and even though I am sovereign, and even though I am all wise and all knowing and all powerful, I want you to rule with me, to reign with me, and that we all might fall down and confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me and my face grew pale, but I kept silent, kept the matter to myself. You see, there could be a reaction. All right, God, bring it on. Wipe out those kingdoms and whatever. Yeah, I know the saints will ultimately end, but, but it's going to be difficult. You see, Daniel, it's kind of a type of Jesus in the sense of he sees what the other kingdom's destiny are. And that's not a happy thought for him. Just as distressing it is that the people of God will suffer. It's also distressing that the people who reject God will suffer. And it is in our place to say, all right, give it to them, God. But Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see, Daniel is distressed by the entire future. Not just the end. It's interesting. And isn't it interesting that we all want to know what the, the end of the story is. Oftentimes, my wife, particularly, she'll read a book and then she'll read the end to find out whether it ends the way she wants it to. And if it doesn't, she stops reading the book. Just kind of her thing. I don't know if some of you are like that or not. But um, we've read the end of the book. We win. But there are going to be pain and suffering for those of the people of God, for those who aren't. As Peter said, it is better to suffer for righteousness sake than doing as an evildoer. So we should, knowing what the end is, should be more motivated 
to tell people who God is, how he loves them, not just in word, but that how he sent his son to be a propitiation for their sins so that they might be standing in attendance as opposed to standing in judgment. For you see, Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world because the world is condemned already. Let us be prepared in faith to understand that we may suffer terribly under this future kingdom, but not discouraged. Because God is sovereign, and when God has had enough, he'll end it. And when he does, he will destroy all the... uh, And then we will rule and reign with him. Which again is far too fantastic for us to understand. The God of the universe who is sovereign, who didn't ask for any of our opinion on how to set this thing up, and didn't ask for any of our opinion, although we happily give it to him, how he should run it. Because you all know, most of our prayers is God do this, God do that, do God do something else. And maybe on occasion we say, but nevertheless your will, but not mine. But really my will is better. That God who says, not only are you my child, I'm going to give you glory. And not only am I going to give you glory, I'm going to let you rule and reign with me. Far too fantastic. No wonder people think this was written later than it was. And even so, it still has future elements to it. And I think the reason why is there are certain things that God does right very plainly. God so loved the world. There are other things I think he expects us, like the book of Revelation, to not just read it and go, hmm, that's interesting, but to study it, to understand it, to hear that view and this view and another view and not take the views, but say, what does the word of God say? And I am convinced in this passage, just as in the passages of Revelation, no matter where the majority opinion's right, or the minority opinion's right, or Shazam, I'm right. When it happens, we'll say, it is so obvious. How did I miss it? We should be so familiar with the word of God that when it takes place, I see it. Therefore, strengthen your faith. Strengthen the faith of one another. If we're out of here at the trumpet sound, which I know will happen, but if we're out of here before these things happen, outstanding. If we're not, As I keep saying, if you prepare to run a marathon and you only have to run a 100-meter sprint, you're over-prepared. 
But if you only prepare to run a 100-meter sprint, and you find yourself having to run a marathon, you may find yourself out of breath. Strengthen yourselves in your faith. Strengthen others in the faith so that we are able to run marathons regardless of what God determines for us to do because he is the everlasting God. He will rule and reign. Sometimes we don't see it, but he is sovereign. As the words may say, it may be the winds that churns all these things up in the winds of heaven, but it is he who dictates the times and epics of man. Trust him. And all God's people said,